to be here. So today we are uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent where we typically talk about peace. So we're talking about peace, but I'm also going to talk about doubt. I think sometimes it's hard for us to really experience peace unless we've experienced some doubt or some uncertainty in our life. So I think at Christmas, it's a good reminder that sometimes peace and doubt go together in the same way that grief and joy go together. Sometimes you don't experience the fullness of Advent and the fullness of Christmas unless you've experienced some doubt or you experience some grief. I also want to talk about how we are the objects of God's affection. But before I get there, I want to talk to you a little bit about the week I had. This week I had the opportunity to spend about three hours in a barn uh, that owned by an Amish man. Earlier this week, I went with Eric. He is a fine craftsman of wood and makes tables, and he had to go to this Amish farmer a couple hours north of Michigan to have him do some uh, work for him. It was kind of a fascinating experience that I had at the barn uh, in two ways. Number one, the bathroom experience was a whole new experience, but we're not going to get into that one today. And then there was the experience of just watching this 45-year-old Amish man with his 19-year-old son and his 14-year-old son do amazing things with wood that I never dreamed or anticipated. I never really thought, how does that really happen? I watched these three men do chisels and saws and sanders and do things that I've never really seen or understood. So it was a very good learning experience for me, and it was kind of fun because Eric on the side makes like really nice tables, like fancy, expensive tables. And I really didn't have that great of an appreciation for tables up until that point. You know, I wasn't the kind of guy that would go in the furniture store and be like, why is that table $5,000? Or why is that one $4,000? I mean, it's a table. From up until that point, I kind of figured if you wanted to make a table, you just went to Home Depot and you found a nice piece of plywood that you liked and you sanded it down and put some varnish on it and then you cut it a little bit and boom, go, you had a table. But suddenly I'm learning, oh no, there's a whole lot that more that goes into a fine table than I could ever realize. And after I watched Eric and I watched these Amish men, I, I kind of had this deep appreciation for fine woodworking. Because sometimes you have to go behind the scenes to see what really happens in order for you to appreciate what really happens. I think now I appreciate a $4,000 table because I can see what goes into it. I can see the sanding that goes into it and these dowels that go into it and don't use Elmer's glue on a table. You use like things like bow ties and stuff like that and you line up the grain of wood. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like a surgery when these people put their tables together. And so it's amazing to watch and as I watched that, I thought, you know what? Advent's a little bit like my experience in the barn. Sometimes you have to get behind the scenes to really appreciate what is, what is really visible. You have to get behind the scenes to understand what is actually happening so you can appreciate what you can see. And that's what Christmas and Advent are all about. It's a reminder for us that we got to go behind the scenes. We got to go behind the scenes so we can understand what's happening, so we can really appreciate what is happening. To get the fullness of Jesus, to get the fullness of understanding Jesus as a Prince of Peace, we have to step backwards 
to look at why is Jesus the Prince of Peace? And what does peace do? And how does peace really impact us? Some of you might be familiar with the final words, some of the final words of Jesus as he went to the cross. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And some of the very first words of Jesus after his resurrection in John 20 was, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. These are powerful verses in the Bible that we go to quite often to understand the peace that Jesus came to bring. But I think sometimes these verses get a little too popular. They end up on coffee mugs. They end up on kind of like cheesy Christian art. And we kind of lose the significance of what does Jesus' words really mean when he says, I give you my peace. See, sometimes we got to pause and we have to go behind the scenes to understand what was going on in Jesus' world when he said, I give you my peace. But before we get behind the scenes of what was going on with Jesus, I think we need to start with understanding why is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Eric read for us that scripture in Isaiah 7 that says Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We know that. We hear that. This is popular. But 2,700 years ago, when the prophet Isaiah prophesied to the world that Jesus would be the Prince of Peace, people were looking at him like, that's kind of strange. Even people before Jesus was born, when they thought of Jesus being the Prince of Peace, they thought that's kind of odd and kind of unusual because we are waiting for this Messiah to come. We are waiting for this King to come and you're telling us that this King is going to be a Prince of Peace. That doesn't make sense because before Jesus came, every other King that ascended to the throne, their path to the throne was destruction. Their path to the throne was annihilation. Who could they destroy? Who could they kill? Who could they eliminate? And suddenly we're talking about the person that's going to save the Jewish people. He's going to come and he's going to be a prince of peace. That sounds pretty strange to everybody. Why would a king bring peace? Because 2,700 years ago, a king would be bring destruction. So why is Isaiah prophesying peace? See, the word peace in the Old Testament is where we get the word shalom. We use the word shalom a lot, and when it's used as a verb, it means to restore whatever is shattered and whatever is broken. The whole idea of shalom is that Jesus brings wholeness. The whole idea behind wholeness is that Jesus takes you on a process of restoration. And then, excuse me, then in the New Testament, the word for peace means reconciliation to God. So at Christmas, we took the Old Testament piece and the New Testament piece, and we put them together and we get Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, who restores mankind to God, and in the process, he brings restoration to everything. And that's why the birth of Jesus is the most profound event that has ever happened in human history. Because this little baby that was born as Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and restore them to Jesus and restore a person to what God had intended for them to be. So reconciliation to God and restoration and wholeness is always what's happening behind the scene. Behind the scene for Jesus being the Prince of Peace is reconciliation, is restoration, and there's wholeness. But to be honest with you, sometimes that's not what we're really looking for. Instead, we want peace to be all around us. 
We want to live in a peaceful environment and then let that peaceful environment influence us. But that's not the way God intended it to be. God intended that Jesus would come into our life and he would bring each of us peace. And as we experience the peace of God, we would transform the world around us. That is what we are called to do as disciples and followers of Jesus. We are to be so filled with the peace of Jesus that we transform every environment that we walk into. But some of us get disappointed with that. Because we would rather have every single thing around us be peaceful, and then we would experience a piece of that. See, that's coming. Someday that's heaven. That's heaven. There's peace everywhere. We experience peace. Everything is perfect and holy. But now we wait. We wait for that moment when everything is peaceful, and that is the times we often get discouraged. Those are the times that sometimes we experience doubt. And instead of living in peace, we live in doubt. So what is doubt? Doubt is that feeling or that emotion that happens to all of us, and the dictionary describes doubt is a feeling of uncertainty mixed with some fear and anxiety. Uncertainty, fear, anxiety. Now, doubt's not necessarily disbelief. It's just a lot of uncertainty. Oftentimes, we experience some uncertainty with our relationship with God. That is a normal process that we go through when we kind of wonder, who is God? What's my relationship with God? And what do I really want out of this relationship with God? And that's why sometimes we pause and we look at doubt and peace, two words that we put together because sometimes you have to experience a deep level of doubt and uncertainty to appreciate the experience of peace that God can give to you. But so often in our church culture, sometimes we look at things like doubt and uncertainty as bad words. Kind of like if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't experience doubt. You don't experience uncertainty, but the truth is we all do. But sometimes we hate to admit that, that in our vulnerability and our humanness, we experience that, and often we experience it around holidays or around Christmas, because sometimes things aren't as we hoped they would be. We're not experienced what we think we should do, and sometimes it creates doubt for us. But at this Christmas, I think it's good to remember that sometimes doubt can work in our favor. But sometimes doubt can be something that will get God's attention for us. See, doubt's not always a bad thing. Uncertainty's not always a bad thing. I mean, think about infomercials. If you didn't have a little doubt or uncertainty, you'd buy every single thing you ever saw on TV. But sometimes doubt gets us to ask more questions. It gets us to search God more and say, this doesn't make sense. Doubt can be a great tool for growth. Doubt causes us to add, ask hard questions. Doubt causes us to get in touch with what is really bothering us? What's really frustrating me right now? Doubt causes us to be really honest. And doubt sometimes puts us in a very vulnerable position so we can receive what God has for us. And sometimes doubt causes us to pause and to say, God, I have a huge need right here and I need you to meet that need for me because I'm not finding it met in any other way. For the last four or five weeks, we've been talking about the battle in our life over who is going to meet your needs. 
God says he wants to meet every single one of our needs. He wants to supply for us everything we need. And we have an enemy over here who says, but I want to do that too. But I want to get you off track. And as we come into this Advent season, we focus on Jesus and we focus on the fact that God wants to meet our needs and we want to make sure that we are in line with God who wants to meet our needs because that's when we find the greatest fulfillment. And today I want to talk about our need for affection. Every one of us needs affection. We need touch. We need our emotional needs met. Researchers will tell you that a baby who is deprived of human affection might survive but they can't, they can't thrive physically or emotionally. We need touch. And we need that from God. And how God meets our need for touch is he meets our emotional needs. God engages us on a daily basis to touch our emotions, for us to realize that he is there and that he is with us. And part of God bringing us peace is so we can experience his emotional touch in our life. We need to experience that for us to thrive emotionally and physically. And I think sometimes we forget the fact that God is interested in meeting our emotional needs on a daily basis. And see, sometimes that uncertainty in our life can make us sit back and say, God, I need to experience that. I need to experience the Prince of Peace on a daily basis. See, when we go through doubt or we go through uncertainty, it often causes us to say, God, what are you doing right now? And God, what are you doing in my future? Those are two emotional needs that we all need to experience. God, what are you doing now? And God, what are you going to do for me in the future? So what does God do for you right now? What can we count on that God is doing for us, for us right now as we sit here, as we go about our day? That's why John 14, 27, Jesus says, I give you my peace. But what's going on behind the scenes? When you look behind the scenes, it has a lot more interest. See, if you back up to the first, ver first verse of John 14, Jesus says to his, his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. See, the Bible describes troubles as that feeling of being disturbed or agitated. It's that feeling of being stirred up by the challenges of your life that it causes an inward commotion that takes away your peace or your calmness of mind and replaces it with a feeling of being restless. I think you know what that's like. You just don't feel settled. You feel wrestled, restless by the things in life. See, however you describe the word troubled, we have experienced that. And sometimes we experience this gap between our troubles and the peace that Jesus has for us. See, the Israelites knew what it was like to live in uncertainty. They knew what it was like for waiting for this Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about. And they longed for that king to come to bring peace. In the same way, some of us long for the experience of peace. I love Isaiah 63, 9. It says, In all the Israelites suffer, back up, in all their suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. See, this is a, Isaiah's other announcement of what the Messiah would do that he would be the one that would come and rescue people by love and mercy. 
But it's interesting in this verse, we also learn that he's going to share in our suffering. See, why would the Prince of Peace experience suffering? Why is that so important? Again, we need to look behind the scenes to see why that's so significant. See, one of the reasons that God allowed Jesus to suffer is that so Jesus could relate to you and to me to bring us comfort and peace. And since we are all created in the image of God, we are also called to share and experience suffering so we can share with other people. Listen to what Paul says in Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, 4, says he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See, there's something really special about being comforted by other people who've experienced something that you've experienced. There's something special about a person that's experienced something that you have because they can identify with your feelings. And they can understand what you've experienced. Sometimes there's a built-in connection when people have a similar experience that you've had. And it sometimes makes connecting with other people a lot easier. And so Jesus understands what it's like to suffer. But also Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, he can take the situation one step further. He can look at every single person and understand what's going on in the side of a person that they might not be able to explain. See, as Isaiah says, not only is Jesus, has Jesus experienced your suffering temptations, but Jesus has a great love and mercy towards people that are experiencing suffering. So he's compelled to rescue people from suffering and pain and reconcile them to God because Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and feel not reconciled to God. In John 14, verse 1 through 6, we have six of some people describe as the most compassionate message of the Bible in these six verses. Martin Luther is on record as saying, this is the best sermon that Jesus ever preached because it's so comforting. Listen to what John says. Jesus' words are, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you will know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And these six compassionate verses, Jesus shows us what is going on behind the scenes. Here, Jesus is on the way to the cross. In the next 24 hours, he will be betrayed, he will be beaten, he will be hung on a cross, he will be crucified, he will be stabbed, stabbed, and Jesus knows every single thing that is going to happen to him. And on his way to the cross, he notices his disciples, and he looks at them, and he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and also trust in me. See, that is so significant because Jesus is on the way to the cross. John 13 tells us that Jesus himself was troubled. The same word that's used for Jesus' emotions is the exact same word used to describe the disciples' emotions. Everybody's experiencing trouble. And what does Jesus do in the midst of experiencing his own trouble? He stops for people that are experiencing trouble. He shows compassion. In the midst of Jesus' anxiety of going to the cross and giving his life, he stops. 
because he sees other people are experiencing what he's experienced. And Jesus, being full of compassion, has to stop when he sees people suffering. He's not going to pass by people because he's experienced suffering. He's experienced every single emotion and feeling that you have experienced. So Jesus is always compelled to stop and to minister to people on the way. Jesus has a motivation to do what he never would have been able to do if he didn't experience suffering. That's why Jesus suffered. He suffered so he could minister to his disciples. Jesus suffered so we could be the objects of his affection. Jesus stops to give words of comfort for his disciples, and he stops and gives words to comfort to each of us as well. Jesus never ignores us when we're in trouble. He always stops. But you know the best part of Jesus doing this? It's not dependent on your faith. It's not dependent upon do you have enough faith or are you good enough? Listen to some of the, final, the first words of Jesus after his resurrection to see how further he even takes his compassion to people. In John 20, verse 19 to 23, after Jesus has risen from the dead, it says, that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they will not be forgiven. This is just a powerful four little verses. Here the story is on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. You notice what are the disciples doing? They gather together in somebody's house and they lock the door. They're scared. They're in fear. They're troubled. They are wondering, are we going to be killed next? The rumor had it that the Roman army, they were looking for followers of Jesus to put on the cross next. And here Jesus' disciples were in a room locked together. They're all feeling unsettled and they were having a difficult time. The scripture tells us that they were afraid. I think we understand that. The scripture tells us that they're experiencing fear. The word fear that they're using could also be the same word used to say to withdraw. And that's exactly what the disciples are doing. They're scared, they're panicking, and they are withdrawing, and they are locking themselves in a room and they don't want anybody to join them. The bottom line is, they were afraid. And what does Jesus do about fear and anxiety? John 20 verse 19 says, suddenly Jesus was standing there with them. This is probably one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. The disciples are scared and they're hiding and Jesus walks right through a wall to come to be with them. He doesn't knock on the door and say, excuse me. He walks right into their situation. That should bring you comfort if you ever experience fear or anxiety or doubt or being troubled. That Jesus will walk right in to your situation. He will walk right in to be with you when you're experiencing fear and doubt. 
Jesus doesn't wait for you to have enough faith. He doesn't wait for you to get better on your own and then says he will come join you. No, Jesus comes to join you because he knows you will never overcome your fear or anxiety if he doesn't join you. So Jesus steps into your situation when you're experiencing fear because the only way you're going to overcome anything is if Jesus walks right through a wall to be with you. If he walks right past the lock, he walks right past your withdrawing, he will step into your situation and notice what he does when he walks into your situation. He speaks to you. He speaks to you. And then what he did to his disciples? He proved to them that he was God. He showed him his wounds. He showed him his, his scars. That's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, and Jesus continues to do that every day. He walks into your feelings of disappointment, disencouragement, and he speaks to you. And he proves to you that you are God. And because he proves to you that you are God, he gives you the encouragement that you can walk out of that locked house and into the freedom that he has for you. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what's going behind the scene when Jesus says, I come to bring you peace. What's the good news? Why is that good news? Because Jesus always finds a way to be with us in the midst of doubt. Sometimes we look at doubt and uncertainty and we think, what good can come out of this? Well, look what good came out of it for the disciples. Jesus walks right in there and says, I'm here. But what is Jesus going to do about your future? That's comforting. Okay, Jesus, you're going to walk into my situation. You're going to be with me. You're going to bring me peace. But what does Jesus do about our future? We go back to John 14, the first six verses, and we see that after Jesus, is, after Jesus uh, reassures his disciples that he's with them, if they can't, even though he is leaving, he says to them in verse 2, There's more enough... There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you where I'm going to prepare a place for you? See, that's encouraging for the disciples. Jesus is just telling the disciples that the reason he is leaving them, one of the reasons, is to prepare a place for them in the future. So the reason that the disciples, they're troubled, they're experiencing trouble, but it's a temporary inconvenience. Sometimes when we experience trouble, we wonder, God, what are you doing? I don't ex- it feels like you're gone, you're, you're away from me. Sometimes we're in the middle place between what God is doing and the future that God's preparing for us. And that's the place that the disciples found themselves into. That place of inconvenience because we haven't experienced our future yet, but we know it's coming. And sometimes that can be a hard place to be. But yet that place of unsettling reminds us that Jesus is preparing the future for us. And I love what Jesus says in the next verse. He says, if this were not so, I would not have told you. And in other ways, what Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm not tricking any of you. I'm being upfront with you. I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you exactly what's going to happen. I'm not going to deceive any one of you. This is what's happening. This is what I'm doing, and this is what your future is going to look like. The disciples have two choices at that point, what they can do. Number one, they can be motivated and driven by their troubles. 
They can live in that fact of, man, this is wrong, this hurts, this isn't undesirable. Or they can be motivated by the relationship with Jesus and the confidence that he is working on their future right now. That even though it's unsettling, even though it's frustrating, even though it's difficult, he's working on your future. And that's a good question for us to wrestle with at Advent. From what perspective do you live? Do you live from the perspective of, man, this is hard, this is difficult, I don't like it? Or from the perspective of, Jesus is working on my future right now. Jesus is walking into every situation I'm in when I'm experiencing doubt or frustration. And then Jesus follows it up in verse 3 and says something amazing. He says to his disciples, He says to his disciples in verse 3, When everything is ready, I'll come and get you, so that you'll always be with me where I am. When everything's ready, I'll come and get you. See, I think for the disciples, that was a huge relief. And see, that should be a huge relief for us, because you know what it says? If Jesus is going to come and get you, that means he knows exactly where you're at at all times. He's not going to lose track of you. If he's going to come get you, he knows where you are. And that's the comfort of the peace that Jesus brings. That's the comfort that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That he knows where we're at. He knows exactly what we're dealing with. He knows our troubles. He knows our difficulties. He knows our doubts. He knows our concerns. And he says, I'm going to walk right into them to bring you peace. And that's what we can rest in this Advent season, that Jesus wants to walk in our situation because he is a God of love and compassion. He's not waiting for us to get our act together. He wants to walk into our situation so he can help us get our act together. That's what Jesus gives us for Christmas the assurance that he wants to walk right into our situation. That's just such good news. We don't have to prove anything. We just have to be where we're at and be honest and let him walk into our situation and bring transformation to our lives. Let's pray and let's sing a couple more songs and then we're going to eat. So Father, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace that you sent your son to be our prince of peace, to transform our life, to impact our life. And we say thank you. God, I pray that each person here and each person watching online, Lord, that we would experience you walking into our place of isolation to give us freedom and to give us the courage to walk out. God, I pray that you'd walk into their places of discouragement and doubt and hopelessness and give us resurrection power. God, may we experience your peace in a way today and in this holiday season that we never experienced before. And God, help us to live between the tension of doubt and peace. Help us to appreciate the doubt and the troubling that we experience at times because we know, Lord, that you see that. You see every single thing that we experience and you react to our suffering and so you can be with us. 
God, would you transform our mind today so that we can receive all the good that you have for us? Lord, I bless each person here, each person listening to me. I bless the families that they come from. I pray healing and wholeness and restoration in their families. God, I pray that each family member in their lives would be reconciled to you and that they would experience the fullness of shalom this Christmas season. God, I thank you that you are God who takes the broken pieces and puts them back together again. And I pray, Lord, that every single person here would experience that, that they would experience shalom, that they would experience peace, they would experience healing and wholeness. But also, Lord, give us patience as we wait on you, as we wait for Jesus to come back again. But we thank you that as we wait, we experience peace. So, Lord, would you help us to experience peace in a dramatic way? May we experience the fullness of Christmas this year. Transform us by our doubts, by our uncertainty. And, God, I pray that when you step into our places of isolation or fear, that we would hear your voice when you speak to us. God, we love you and we thank you that you are a good God. In Jesus' name we pray.